So welcome, everyone. So this week, if you've been following along with us for the last several weeks, we've been doing a sermon series called Kingdom Come, which has really been um, focusing on this one chapter in the book of Matthew, Matthew 13, where it's just really just one parable of Jesus after the other. And what all these parables have in common is that they all start with the, the statement of the kingdom of heaven is like. And they're all parables um, teaching the culture, teaching, um, and really all of these have just been a, a scratching the surface of the kingdom of heaven. Because if it's one thing that, you know, 2020 has taught us is that this world is volatile and uncertain and temporary, you know, and, and, and really going along with this theme of, you know, everything that, that starts in the unseen then turns into the seen. And so it starts in the unseen. And so the kingdom of heaven is right now in the unseen. And then we have this ability to, as, as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, to actually live a life that actually makes heaven manifest in the physical. So we, we, we can actually take what is unseen and make it seen in our lives. And we have the ability to bring kingdom of heaven to the earth. So that's what we've been talking about these last several weeks, and so we're going to be wrapping that up today. And so, um, and actually today is not a parable. So if you look at Matthew 13, he teaches all these parables, and at the end of, the, of him teaching all these parables, he decides to go home. He go, goes back to Nazareth, where he's from, to visit his family. And, and we don't know why he did that. Maybe one of his sisters, you know, her, her door was like jammed on the doorway and her husband was one of those guys who wants to sand the door. And she's like, no, 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 my, car, my, my brother's a carpenter. He can come and he asked him to come and fix the door. And so he, he comes home. Maybe that's why he came home. But he's coming home to visit his family. And, and like anything else, like, like all the places he's been, whenever he comes home, he finds the synagogue and he goes there and teaches. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, um, starting in verse 53. And, that, and that's where we're going to pick up uh, this story. And so starting in verse 53, he says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we thank you that, that we don't have to invite you here to be with us, that you're already with us. And we just say yes and amen to everything you want to do in our midst this morning. And we pray this morning that you would just give us eyes to not, to not just see, but to perceive what's really happening. Ears to not just hear, but to, to truly understand. And that you would, you would 
alert our minds and make us awake to the state of how things really are and, and to what's really going on around us and, and so that we could be awake and alert to life, that we wouldn't miss anything. And Holy Spirit, I just thank you that your word is on my tongue and that, that you are the one who teaches. You are the one who opens our eyes to the truth. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that, that you would just help me to articulate not just your truth, but your heart as well. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So Jesus comes back home and he, he goes to the synagogue and he's teaching in his hometown. You know, so, so he, he, he's not born there. He, 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 uh, he ends up having to go to Egypt and then on his way back, when his family moves back from Egypt, they settle in Nazareth and that's where he spends most of his life. And so these people in Nazareth know him better than anyone else. They've seen him grow up. Um, they've seen him um, work, you know, do carpentry. Um, they know his, his family. They know his siblings. And so they know him better than anyone. And so what you see here, though, is he comes there and teaches, and they acknowledge the fact that he has wisdom. Like, it's not a, it's not a matter of he doesn't have wisdom. They, they acknowledge that he's very wise. And they acknowledge that he, that he has powers. They acknowledge that he's been healing people and that he can do things that, that normal people can't do. So they're not denying any of these things. They, they know that to be true. And then they even begin to go through and list off all of these facts about him that, that maybe a lot of the people who are following him, because Mike even made the comment uh, a week or two ago that, he, that at this point in his earthly ministry, he's developed rock star status. You know, people are, are just following him in droves. And then he comes back home, and these people know him better than anyone. They say, you're, we, we know your mother Mary. Like, like, like Mary. Mary's my neighbor. You know, all your sisters are living in town. We know all your brothers. We, we, we know your family. Where'd you get this wisdom? Where'd you get these powers from? And you would think that because they know him so well, you would think because they know all this stuff about him, that would actually help them arrive to the truth about who Jesus really is. But it doesn't. They actually get offended by him. And because of their offense, because they, they don't believe him, he, he, he's not able to do much while he's there. And so you, you start to see there's a difference between facts and truth. You, you start to see just because you have facts doesn't mean that those facts are going to bring you to truth. I remember uh, growing up in the 90s, some of you may remember this too, um, if, if you were watching TV, you know, NBC would do these like educational like PSAs, you know, and they would always end with, the more you know. <laughs> it's like, the more you know. And, 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 and I'm, I'm all for education. I'm all for learn, you know, con, you know, constantly you know, being a lifelong learner. I, th I, think, I think that's one of the most important aspects of life is being a lifelong learner. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to know the truth. That doesn't necessarily mean that all this knowledge, all these facts are going to bring you to what's true. And so what, we, what we're looking at here is we're looking at the situation where they, they knew all this stuff about Jesus. They knew more about Jesus than most people did, and they still missed it. They still didn't get it. 
And so what happened there? And, and that's, that's really what I want to dive into this morning is, is, is what happened? Like what's, what's going on here that we can learn from so we don't fall in these same mistakes? Because I think what's happening here is they've, is they've fallen into two mindset traps that, are in my opinion, and this is my, this, is, this is my opinion, but in my opinion are two of the most dangerous mindset traps a Christian can fall into that will not only stunt your growth, you know, pr- you know prevent you, you from maturing in your faith and spiritual growth, but will actually prevent you from, from knowing Jesus more. And the first one we're going to talk about is familiarity. So, you know, I, I've, I've been a, a Christian most of my life. I've, I started going to church when I was in middle school. And, and so I've, you know, read through the Bible. I've, I've been to church most of my life. And so I remember, you know, a couple weeks ago when Mike and I did this, well, not a couple weeks ago, but a while back ago when Mike and I did the sermon series on the armor of God, I remember thinking, I know the armor of God. Like, I mean, I remember reading about the armor of God when I was in Sunday school. Like, what, what, what else is there really to, to know about the armor of God? And, and I fell into that trap of familiarity. And so, but I'm so happy that we did that study because what it forced me to do is it forced me to, to read those passages and make a decision to really look at that stuff with fresh eyes and really make a point to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to read this stuff. Like, this is the first time I've read it. And I, and, and it was so impactful for me. I, I, I got so much more out of it than I would have otherwise. And I, I got stuff that I never thought about out of it by doing that. And so what happens with familiarity is, is familiarity can close you off to the new things that are waiting for you in Christ. Because what you have to think about is we've been talking about the kingdom. The kingdom is always expanding. What, what, what does the prophecy in Isaiah say about about the kingdom, the rule of Jesus. His rule will have no end, and it will, it will always keep growing. So we know that the kingdom is always growing, and we know that Jesus is eternal. And so with those two things in mind, we know that there's always something new to explore in the kingdom. There's always something new to experience, and there's always new revelation. There's always, fre- there's always fresh revelation about the character of God for us to discover. And so if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, man, I haven't been excited about my faith in a long time. Then maybe you need to change it up a little bit. Maybe you're stuck in a rut. Maybe, you, maybe you've been doing the same thing over and over again, whether that's you know, in church or whether that's in, in, in ministry and in missions and in, in your private time with the Lord, whatever that is. Maybe you've been just doing things the same way. Or maybe you need to look at the same thing with fresh eyes. Knowing that there's more to your faith and there's more to the Lord than what you know now. There's, there's a constant invitation to more. That's, that's the thing about the kingdom. There's always a standing invitation for us to have more and to experience more and to, and, and, and to, and to have more in the Lord. And, and, and I don't know what that means for you. I, I, you know, that, that's my prayer for all of you, is that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and, and you would know what that means for you. But it all comes down to familiarity. Of like, oh, I, I've already experienced this. I already know what this means. This is how this is supposed to be done. This is what this means. 
Oh, well, John 3.16, that's, that, that's old. I mean, I, I, I don't need to read that again. I've read that so many times. But the scriptures are living and active, and they, they're, they're breathing, and they, they're layered, and they mean different things to us in different seasons, in different times, in different contexts. This, the kingdom is always changing and shifting and growing. And God is always speaking something different to us in every time. Our faith should be anything but familiar. And so we need to, we need to stop ourselves from falling in that trap or it's really going to stun our growth. And so what we see here is, is they, they, they knew all these things about Jesus. They drew all these conclusions about Jesus because they, they knew his family and his, and his siblings and they'd watched him grow up. And so they drew all these conclusions about him. And then what happened is as he was speaking, it actually led them to the second mindset trap I wanted to talk about, and that's offense. They became offended by Jesus. And, 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 you know, offense is, is something that's not really talked about a whole lot, so I, I wanted to give, give a definition, which, you know, it's, it's funny. As I was working on this um, sermon, I, you know, I, this, this was actually kind of difficult for me to articulate and kind of difficult for, for me to get my head around. But, but the, the best definition I could come up with is it's, it's anger, it's resentment, it's bitterness from a perceived personal attack. And, but I really, what I really want us to focus on, what I really want us to, to hone in on is that word perceived. Because I really believe nine times out of ten, most of the times we get offended about things is not even about us. We make it about us, but it's not even about us. In fact, if you go back to the Greek um, for, for offense, I'm not even going to try it, but the Greek for offense, it gets its roots from the word for trap or ensnare. So literally, the, the, the word, the meaning for, for offend literally has its roots in the fact that we get trapped or ensnared in our anger or in our, our self-righteousness or, or, or in our revenge. You know, that, 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 those are the things that offense makes us get ensnared or trapped in. And so we look at this idea that they became offended by Jesus, and it was literally a trap that they fell into that prevented them from arriving at the truth. And if I'm honest, as, as I really thought about this idea of, of being offended, and if you look at the scriptures, if you look at, at the standard that Jesus set for us, the goal in life, the goal in our walk of faith is to really reach this point where we're unoffendable. I'm going to say it one more time. We are, we are to reach a point <laughs> where we are unoffendable. I ain't there. If anything, the more I really thought about it and the more I was honest with myself, I'm offended way more often than I would love to admit, especially in front of all of you nice people. I mean, my wife drives in the car with me. Someone cuts me off, I have to put the brakes on. It's about me. That's a personal attack against me if someone cuts me off in traffic. Doesn't, doesn't matter if they were on the phone. Doesn't matter if they're, they're, they're getting their wife to, their, to the hospital because she's in labor. No, uh That was a personal attack against me. And I'm offended. I am. I'm offended. 
I, I, when, I'm, when I'm dealing with, with people, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, maybe I'm dealing with a client and I've, I've had to show them how to do something three times and they call again. It doesn't matter that that's what they pay me to do. I'm offended. I'm offended. We, I make things about me way too much. And it's a trap. It, 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 gets, it derails me. And I'm not even going to get into the tragedy that's social media. I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to go there. But it's a tragedy. And so what you see is that we just need to, do, you know, the, the, the gospel is supposed to give us a resilience and a thick skin to not make it about us so much. And then there's also the thing of what happens when we get offended at God. Can you get offended at God? Obviously you can because they did in Nazareth. (laughs) What do you do there when you get offended at God? In my own personal experience, um, I'll I'll have conversations with people who maybe um, were Christians or or, or identified as Christians, and then um, now they identify as maybe an atheist or an agnostic and, and, and I'll have conversations with them, and we'll, and we'll have really good talks. And, and typically, in my, and this is in my experience, but typically in my experience, the conversations usually start intellectual. They usually start, well, you know, I, in my studies of the Bible, I just saw just real inconsistencies in the scriptures, you know. Or, you know, just a- after I saw the science, I just think it makes way more sense that things just kind of randomly happened for a billion years, and that's how we got here instead of an intelligent designer. Um, or, you know, just, you know, all these science. But what I found is if you keep asking questions and you keep the conversation going, the conversation starts out intellectual, but usually ends very personal. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, my last church really hurt me. Or, you know, this person led me to Christ, and then they, they really proved themselves to be a kind of a reprehensible person. Or, you know, they, they suffered a, a tragedy in their lives or a loss, and they go, and they're, they're left with the question, like, why would God do this to me? And they're offended at God. And now, all of a sudden, they're left in this position of, they've come to this conclusion that God can't be trusted, and... What do you do with that? And that's, that's part of the trap of offense also, is, is when you perceive things in a certain way, God, people, even our families, they can't be trusted because everything is a personal attack against you. And where do you go from there? Because the, the, the whole point of the gospel is the gospel gives us the things we need for life. And I'm not talking about, you know, food, water, shelter. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about acceptance. I'm talking about innocence. The, the, the things we need that, that gives life meaning, that gives life color, that, that, that gives life the, 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 the inexplicable, you know, inarticulate thing that makes life worth living. Those are the things that the gospel gives us. And I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. You can find those things outside the gospel. People do it all the time. 
you can find those things outside the gospel. But here's, here's the danger in that. The problem with that is this world, this life, is temporary, uncertain, and volatile. And if you find all those things in your career, and then the next day you lose your job because of COVID, what are you left with? If you find all those things in one person, and that person is tragically taken from you for whatever reason, what do you do then? But the gospel is eternal because the gospel is rooted in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven is eternal and unmovable and unshakable. And if you, f- if you can put your faith in the gospel and if you find those things in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the idea is it makes you unmovable as well. It makes you unshakable as well. You will become unshakable in the face of a volatile and uncertain and temporary world. And that's what it means to become unoffendable. When you're unoffendable, you're unmovable. So how do we get there? What does that mean? How, how, how does that even happen? You know, we, we, we look at this story and we, and we see these people, you know, look at the facts they know about Jesus and arrive at a lie. You know, they, 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 they look at all these facts, and the facts weren't, I mean, I assume the facts weren't wrong, but the facts weren't wrong about Jesus, but it still did not lead them to the truth. It, le- it led them to familiarity and being offended. So how do we not repeat their mistake? How, how do we learn from their mistake? My theory is that they, they fell victim to bottom-to-top thinking. And, with the, and I'll explain what that means. They were looking around them horizontally. So we have, we have our lives horizontally, and we have our lives vertically. So vertically is heaven, horizontally is the world. So they're looking horizontally at their circumstances, at facts, at the things they can see with their eyes horizontally. They gather those up as they can perceive them, as they tell them, and then based off of what they can see, based off of their circumstances and their facts, they make, judge, they make judgments vertically. So, they say, so to give you an example, they say, okay, we see this guy. We watched him grow up. You know, he, he, he gashed his knee on the rocks, and I've helped patched him up. You know, his, we know his siblings. We know his mom. You know, we, we watched him build, you know, build you know, furniture with his dad. But he can't be the Messiah. He can't be who he says he is because of all these things. If, if we make judgments about who God is based off of our life around us, then our judgments are going to be wrong. If we, make, if, we, if we determine what truth is based off of what the life looks like around us, then our truth isn't going to be very much worth living. And if, if our goal as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven is to bring heaven to earth, we can't align ourselves with the truth of the world. We have to align ourselves with the truth of heaven. So instead of bottom to top thinking, we have to think from the top to the bottom. So as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, we have to go to Christ first, go to the scriptures first, determine what truth is from there, 
And then we filter all of our circumstances and we filter all the things that we know through the truth of the scriptures and of the kingdom of heaven. Then what happens is when you anchor yourself and you align yourself with those truths, your circumstances will actually begin to change to reflect those truths. And that's when you have power in your life. There's a, um, there's a doctor I like to follow. She's a, I don't even know, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Is she like a, she's like a psych, is she, is she, she's more than a psychologist though. Is she like, Neuroscientist, thank you. I knew it was one of those fancy words like that. She's a neuroscientist. And, and, and so she's got a really interesting story because the way her story is, is you know, she was in medical school like in the 80s. And at that time, they thought that the brain was unchanging. That you know, once the brain was formed and once the brain matured, it wasn't changing. You know, there, it couldn't heal itself. It couldn't change its wiring, none of that stuff. And so that's what science said at that time. But doctor, you know, she wasn't, a, I don't think she was a doctor yet, but she was reading this research, but she was also reading the Bible. She was a Christian, and she would read verses like, renew your mind. And she would go, well, if, if the scriptures are saying this, and science is saying this, which one am I going to believe? And so she would say, well, the science must be wrong. And so she began researching, and she was one of the first in her field to reach the conclusion and launched this, pretty much a whole new field of study called neuroplasticity, where the brain is actually capable of changing, where the mind is actually able to change the brain. And all that was because she believed scripture over science. She, what she thought from the top to the bottom, and now science has aligned with what heaven says. I love that example. And we can do that every day in our own lives. We have to think from the top to the bottom to help us to be unoffendable and to help us to break cycles of familiarity so that the kingdom and so our faith can remain fresh and new and life-giving. And so that no matter wherever we are, whether at work, whether at our home with our families, whether we're at our friends, we can be agents of the kingdom and make what is unseen, seen in our lives. Because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven in this foreign land. This is a foreign land for us. And one day we'll be welcomed home with open arms. But for now, we are tasked with sharing the culture and history of our home with this strange land. And that culture is the love and acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing the infinite resources and eternity of the kingdom with these people of the world, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our bosses. And though it is unseen for now, one day it will be seen. And even though it's unseen now, it is unmistakably real. So what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to align yourself with heaven and to not align yourself with your surroundings? What does it look like for you to look to the gospel for the things that make life necessary, like for your love and your acceptance? What would it look like for you to be unoffendable where you're at? What would that look like 
for you to look at your faith and look at your relationship with Jesus and look at how you do life through fresh eyes and to break that cycle of familiarity and to make your faith new again. All that stuff is available to us. All that stuff is available to all of us. And I pray that, I pray that, the, that the Holy Spirit would give you more insight in what that means for you personally and individually. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that there is more. That, that anything right now that, that is saying that there isn't is a liar. Thank you, Jesus. There's more life. There's more hope. There's more faith. There's more opportunity. There's more resources. There's more love. There's more healing. More passion. Whatever it is that, 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 we, feel, that we feel dry in right now, whatever it is we're yearning for right now, maybe we, we don't even have words to describe it, there's more of it in you. Jesus, I thank you that, that, that you are the rock and you're teaching us how to build our house on you and not on the sand. Teaching us how to find the things that we need in you so that when life, is, it, when life changes, when life is volatile, when life unexpect, unexpectedly you know, pulls the rug out from under us like it's going to do, we can still be unmovable in the face of that. Thank you, Jesus, for being a rock for us, for being our living hope. And thank you for trusting us enough to share your good news and the good news of your kingdom and your gospel to the world. Because it is good news. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for never leaving us. And thank you for, the ho- for putting the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.